welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. All right. How many of you are ready to get into God's word today? Amen. All right. So in the month of January, we had this spiritual emphasis month and our theme was engage, right? So we challenged and encouraged everyone to, to join us as we engaged in different things, as in a Bible study, which is still going, a Bible reading plan through the U version that is still going on, to engage in fasting and all these different things. And, you know, something that we've been focusing on is, you know, what are different areas that God is asking his people to engage in? We talked about how, he, how God has called us to engage in his word and fasting and prayer, how God is, uh, you know, calling us to engage in our communities, like our church community, but as well as our outside communities, right? And we're going to continue in February to talk about what God is asking us to engage in. And today, we're talking about engaging in worship. So the title of today's message is A Call to Worship. We're going to do something a little different today, okay? We're going to eavesdrop. And everyone's head was like, what? We're going to eavesdrop. And I know most of us probably were taught when we were younger not to eavesdrop because it's rude, right? Yeah. But our scripture today is basically one long private conversation between a godly man and a sinful woman. Aren't you curious? What's he going to say? We start our journey in the book of John chapter 4. And this book is widely believed to have been written by the apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. How John came by this particular dialogue is unknown, right? We don't know if this is something that he heard afterwards that someone was telling him, or if this is something that he witnessed firsthand. But the conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, that's what I'm going to refer to her as because we don't know her name, is one that is repeated from pulpits around the world. It is here that Jesus reveals his divinity, And he also shares an intimate understanding of God's expectation in regards to our worship of him. So let's listen in on this not-so-private, private private conversation. So before we get deep into what was said, let's talk about where it was said and who was saying it. If If you've been following the mainstream media and social news, you understand when I say context matters. So we're going to read John 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his sons Joseph, to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me 
for her drink since I'm a Samaritan woman. For Jews had no, have no dealings with Samaritans. All right, so let's talk about what's going on here. Jesus is on his way to Galilee from Judea. And along the way, Jesus and his disciples take a pit stop in a, Samarian, in a Samaritan town called Sychar. Okay, Jerusalem is smack in the middle of Israel. Galilee is far north, and Samaria is kind of right in between those two parts. So he's passing through. And John explains that the area that they find themselves in is of great importance to Jewish tradition. Okay, This is the location of Jewish forefathers Jacob's well. We, know, we remember Jacob, right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Very good. So right, Jesus is tired from his journey, and so he sits down by the well while his disciples go into town to buy food. And it's around new time, which means the Middle Eastern sun is scorching hot. Scorching hot. As Jesus rests, a Samaritan woman comes to draw water from the well, and Jesus says to her, give me a drink. Pretty funny, right? Never meeting this person before. And he says, hey, give me a drink. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? First 21st century folk, when we read that Jesus asks a Samaritan for a drink of water, we might not think anything by it. Right? He's thirsty. What's the issue? But Jesus is breaking a huge cultural barrier here. Okay, first of all, men would not associate with women in public. Okay, this, it just wasn't the custom. And remember, Jesus is a teacher. So teachers were expected to remain above reproach even more than the common man. Right, so that's the first thing. And the second thing is that Jews would not typically associate with Samaritans. They wouldn't. So that's two things. Jesus is talking to a woman, and he's talking to a Samaritan woman. You might be asking, what is so bad about these Samaritans? Why do these Jews despise these people so much? Imagine, remember I was telling you how, you know, Samaria is kind of in the middle of Jerusalem and Galilee. Some Jews would go as far as to completely go around Samaria. They would cross over the Jordan River to completely avoid stepping foot on Samaritan ground. That's how despised the Samaritans were by the Jews. Around 750 BC, Samaria was once a part of the kingdom of Israel, okay? And in 750 BC, the Assyrian Empire conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and exiled a huge population of Samaria. During this exile, foreigners dwelt in Samaria, and the remnant of the Israelites in Samaria intermarried with these foreigners. This was a huge betrayal to God's people who were supposed to remain a people that were set apart for his purpose. Right? From that point on, the Samaritans were viewed as traitors. They were viewed as half-breeds. They lived side by side with foreigners who worshipped foreign gods. They observed a different Bible than the, Jew than the Jewish Bible. And they worshipped God on a different mountain than Israel. I mean, how dare they? How dare they? 750 years later, there is still tension and disagreements among the Jewish and Samaritan population. Talk about a grudge. 750 years, right? And there's this tension that's still going on. 
All that to say, Jesus breaks all kinds of cultural barriers by doing what he's doing. And she knows it. The woman is shocked. Here is a man who obviously doesn't know the rules of the game. He must be lost, confused, or not from around here because he's not doing what is expected of him. He's not. But Jesus enters this dialogue with this woman. In the message today, a call to worship, we're going to look at three things that God calls us to do. And the first thing that we're going to see in this first part of the conversation with the Samaritan woman, we're going to see that God calls us to recognize our need. So we're going to read verses 10 through 15 together, and then we'll continue a little later on to verse 19. So it continues, and excuse me, I lost my my place here. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. It's interesting because Jesus first asks for a drink of water and then he goes on to offer her a drink of water. Why would he ask her to get him water and then offer her water in return? He couldn't give her water. He wasn't carrying the necessary rope and water jug to dredge up the water from the well. Right, and in those days, wells were like 100 feet deep. He didn't have the proper materials to do that and she could see that. Only what she didn't see was that Jesus was offering her living water. Not the stuff she was pulling up in a clay pot. And at first, the woman thinks that she's getting this inside information about a secret spot for water. Commentator Gary Bird says that living water culturally could have referred to water that flows as in a spring, river, or stream. That is, moving water. Living water is precious and valued. In Shechem, which is where this area is, in Shechem there were no streams or springs, only water that stood still. Even Jacob had to dig a well to get water. So Jesus was offering water that would satisfy her for all of her days. And she thought to herself, water that will never leave me thirsty again? That would be incredible. I mean, how easy, what a load off. She'd never have to walk down to refill her jug again. And back then, right, it's not like walking to the water fountain to get water. You walk a mile or so in the, in the heat. So, right, she's like, yes, give me this water. I'll take this water. How many of you would accept that water? That would never leave you thirsty again. 
Jesus is slowly getting this woman to recognize her need. She thinks she needs physical water, but Jesus is getting her to recognize the need for living water. The living water Jesus was talking about wasn't water from a moving, bubbling river or spring. Jesus was talking about quenching a thirst deeper than the physical. A spiritual satisfaction available through the Spirit of God. A life that would not perish, but will exist eternally with him. You know, we, we tease that many church, church songs are heavy with water references. But the Old Testament often uses the imagery of water to describe the newness and freshness of life that God brings. I'll give you two scripture examples. In Jeremiah 2.13, Jeremiah is prophesying to the people of Israel, and he says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, God, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 55.1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You know, humans are always looking for the next thing to satisfy them. How many of you have saved up to buy something and days or maybe a couple of weeks after you buy that thing, you start to realize you want or need something else? Show of hands. How many of you have been in that situation? Wow, there's more hands that went up in first service. Jeez. Okay. Well, in the, it's been eight short months that my wife and I have been married. And it's been the best eight months of my life. And one really cool experience in marriage is that you get to build your home together. And you can ask my wife this, okay? While we were planning the wedding, I was obsessed with the registry. I was obsessed. I was like, whoa, like endless possibilities. All here. Oh my goodness. And, and I would tell her, I'd be like, yo, Oh, we could really use this in our kitchen. This would complete the kitchen. Or we could really use this in our living room. We could really use this and that and that. And I'm telling you, obsessed, okay? Obsessed. And I thought after the wedding, we would have everything we needed. That I'd be like, well, you know what? Once we get these things, we will be good for the next couple of years. We won't need another thing. Boy, I was wrong. I was wrong. Because there's still this in desire me to buy this new thing. Or how many of you go on Facebook Marketplace, right? You get, like, notifications all the time. Ooh, this thing that you viewed, like, eight weeks ago just went down by a dollar. And you're like, oh, neat. It never ends. It really doesn't. I, I, you know, I need new clothes. She needs new boots. We need new sheets. And on and on and on it goes. And you're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. And there's nothing on this earth that will ever truly satisfy us outside of the salvation God offers through Christ Jesus. This life that Jesus offers is like a spring rushing through us that never runs dry, but spills over, causing growth and life all around. Right? Jesus is talking to this woman. He says, you know, he's like, the water I offer, it's, it'll be like this spring this, that wells up inside of you. He gives us everything we need. And I'm so reminded of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
Jesus is offering something that will satisfy her deeper than her earthly needs. And in this next part of the conversation, Jesus helps her recognize that. So let's continue to read 16 through to 19. Jesus says to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. What a change in conversation, right? We just got the lowdown on the woman at the well. The 411, the deets. She's had five husbands in her past, and currently she's living with a man who is not her husband. She is an adulterer. This woman comes to the well during the hottest point of the day to avoid having to interact with other more respectable women. Okay, those who were tasked to fetch water would normally do so in the morning or at dusk when the sun was setting to avoid the scorching heat of the Middle Eastern sun. Okay, and you know, women would, would be, usually be the ones that would go fetch the water, but the well was a very social place. Okay, very social. All the women would come together in the morning. You know, they'd have their, they'd have their water jug going down to the well. My rope's this long. How long's your rope? Yeah, I can get more water than you. But it was like the social place. Have a nice cup of coffee and so on and so forth, okay? All these women would get together, but not this woman. In her sin, she was isolated. The community looked down on her. People knew her junk. And here was this stranger who she had never met before pointing out the sin in her life. Imagine. She's going to avoid people at this well and she meets someone who knows everything about her. I'm sure to herself it's like, oh my gosh, can I catch a break here? He pointed out the sin in her life, but it wasn't in a way, but it wasn't condoning or condemning. Notice how Jesus says this. He wasn't disgusted by her. He wasn't impressed by her, but he wasn't disgusted by who she was. He didn't even tell her what she was doing. What, he didn't even tell her what she was doing was wrong. She knew. All he did was tell her that there was more that there was more for her, that there is more. This woman had an insatiable longing. She was looking for something, something she thought that she could find in these men. Security, protection, stability, love. She had already been through five men and was working her way through a sixth. And still, she was not yet satisfied. But then she meets Jesus. He calls her away from what will leave her perpetually thirsty and wanting more. Jesus is calling this woman to find everlasting satisfaction. 
she was worshiping at the wrong altar. Not just because the Samaritans worship on a different mountain than the Jews, but because they did not engage in worship in spirit and in truth. Living a life of worship unto God starts with an understanding of our need of a Savior. Not someone or something that can provide for our earthly needs, but our deep spiritual ones. All of humanity is in need of a Savior. No one is exempt. No matter where you came from, no matter what school you've gone to, no matter what family you were born into, we are all in need of a Savior. Our worship is a response to the grace that we have received from Christ. Which brings us to our second point, that God calls us to receive his grace. And we're going to finish reading verses 20 through 26. The woman continues, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people, the Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And then Jesus finishes with this. He says to her, I who speak to you am he. Upon hearing Jesus uncover her past and present situation, this woman defers. Do any of you deflect when you realize that you're in trouble? Anyone? Just me? She finds a way to change the subject. She brings up this theological difference between the Jews and Samaritans. And as I said earlier, right, the Samaritans observed a different Bible than the Jews. The Samaritans observed only the first five books of the Bible, also known as the Pentateuch. They rejected the historical books, wisdom literature, and the prophets. Samaritans didn't believe that Jerusalem was the dwelling place of God's presence. Instead, they believed God's presence rested on Mount Gerizim in Samaria. This was the huge debate. The huge debate. But what the woman didn't realize is that this debate would soon be irrelevant. An hour was coming when location would not be a factor for worship. There would soon come a time where the Spirit of God would not rest in one specific place, but would exist in his followers. And spoiler alert, if you turn to Acts chapter 2, you'll see the coming of the Holy Spirit. It was in this way that true worshipers would worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And if you read through that scripture passage again, you'll see that God desires to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And it means so much to him that he is seeking. He is seeking a people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. 
And that time is now here. True worshipers worship everywhere, in all things, every place they go, in everything they do. This is the kind of worship and worshiper God seeks and desires. What does that mean? What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? Let's first talk about what Jesus means by worshiping God in spirit. My favorite book on worship is called True Worshippers by Bob Coughlin. Okay, I've, um, I've made almost everyone on the music team read this book. Okay, you can ask them. They've heard True Worshippers and Bob Coughlin a, number of, a numerous amount of times. Okay, but one thing that he says in this book has always stuck out to me. It takes God to worship God. It takes God to worship God. A call to worship is a call to receive God's grace, his salvation. And the Bible says it's the revelation of God's spirit that shows us we need grace. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says this, Who can know a man but his spirit? So no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God, that we may understand the things that is grace, freely given by God. We have not received the spirit of this world, but we have received a spirit of God, the spirit of God. And God's spirit is what brings us revelation of who he is. Therefore, in order to worship God, we need his spirit. You know, when we think of worship, we think of giving, giving of our time, giving of our adoration, our love, giving of money, giving of, you know, even words like singing this morning, or we think of of a giving. But here, what Jesus is saying, true worshipers are those who receive first. We are receivers first. That almost kind of like, are you sure about that? Like, pretty sure we're supposed to give first. No, but we received first. We have received first. Our worship must be a response to the salvation that we have freely received from Christ. It's our response. It's a response of the gift that God has given us through Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. It starts with understanding our need and receiving from God. And then it just flows from that heart. The third thing is that God calls us to live according to his truth. Right? In spirit and in truth. Jesus challenges the woman. I love this. He says, you worship what you do not know. Right? He's saying, you you know, you don't know the God that you're worshiping, right? The Samaritans rejected most of the Old Testament scriptures. Their understanding was deficient. They did not know the God that they thought they worshiped. And the call for true worshipers is to worship in truth. So to worship God, you need to know God. Could you agree with that? Right? To worship God, you need to know God. So here's an illustration for you. Okay, imagine someone comes up to you and says, hey, you go to Grace of Bel Air, right? Do you know that Pastor Bobby Hackett? Sure, yeah, I know Bobby Hackett, 
For those of you who don't know Bobby Hackett, he was the gentleman who was um, doing the announcements earlier. I'd be like, yeah, I know Bobby Hackett. You know, we're friends. We work together almost every day. I actually used to live with the guy when I first moved here five years ago. So yeah, I'd say, you know, we're pretty close. Imagine if that person goes on to say, man, I love that guy. He's got that nice sandy blonde hair. He is like a super jacked soccer player. He like shreds on the guitar. And you know what? He's the biggest Ravens fan I know. How many of you know that the person has no idea who Bobby Hackett is? Right? <laughs> yeah. So you're all laughing. So, right, Bobby has red hair, okay? Famously known for his red hair. He plays basketball. He leads the basketball league here at the church. And I'm pretty sure he is, eh, okay, a guitar. But also, Bobby is only a moderate Ravens fan. He's a Colts fan. The original Ravens, right? Okay. The person's knowledge of Bobby is deficient, right? Would you agree with that statement? That the person's knowledge of Bobby is deficient. We can't worship God without God's spirit, and we also can't worship God if we don't truly know him. This hypothetical stranger, he claimed to love Bobby. He claimed to love him, but everything he said about Bobby was false. Okay? He, he couldn't really love Bobby because he had no idea who Bobby was. And it's the same for us and God. We can't love him if we don't really know him. We can't. And God has given everything. We need to know him. How do we get to know God? How do we get to know him? His word, right? This is God's word that he has given to us. What better way to know God than through his word? We sit in services like this one and we hear people who love him, talk about him. We get around other people that know him and hear what they have to say about him. Community. God's given us everything we need to know him to know his truth, and to walk according to his ways. God desires a people who will receive his salvation, worship in spirit, and those who will dedicate their lives to knowing him, worship in truth. Bob Coughlin says, worship in spirit and truth is worship that springs from a sincere heart and lines up with the truth of God's word. So everywhere we go, in everything we do, to those who God has revealed himself, all of life is to be worship. And I'm going to invite the band to come up at this time. All of life is worship. And if, artists, and if someone says to you, worship, for the majority of us, maybe the first thing we might think of is music. Right? And worship very well, music very well is a big, is a part of worship. But it's not the main thing. But what is Jesus, what's Jesus saying is the main thing? All of life, everything you do is worship. So when you 
get up and you go to your car and you leave here, you're continuing to worship the Lord. When you put your head down to sleep tonight, you're worshiping the Lord. When you get up in the morning to go to work, you are worshiping the Lord. When you come home to your kids, you are worshiping the Lord. How you treat those around you, how you treat your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, your family, your enemies, so on and so forth, you are worshiping the Lord. How you talk, how you work, how you study, it is worship unto God. That's what Jesus is getting at. It's all of life. Worshiping in spirit and in truth is all of life. So we come to the end of this not-so-private conversation, and now what? How did this affect the woman at the well? Well, it's amazing. If you continue to read, you see what happens to her. She goes into town, and she tells everyone of her interaction with Jesus. But look how cool this is, right? The woman who was so afraid to be seen by anyone... Right, the woman who would go into the hottest part of the day to the well to get water so that there would be no one there. The woman that was once so afraid, who was, shame, who was ashamed of who she was, ashamed of what she's done, she now goes. She goes into the town and she tells people of this conversation that she had with this Jesus. Can this man be the Messiah? Everyone, Come. Come and see this Jesus. He knew everything about my life. And he offered living water. Come and see this Jesus. And the people came and they believed. They believed in Jesus. So much so that they had Jesus stay there two extra days in Samaria so that he could teach them and he could be with them. That's what's happened. Jesus, in this conversation with this woman, he is calling her to be a true worshiper. And the call is for us to be true worshipers. Not just to put the game face on when I come to church for two hours, you know, lift my hands, gonna do all those things. No, but it's everywhere. It's here. It's when we leave. Everything is worship. And that's the call for us today, church. That is the call for us today. Are we living lives where we're thinking those things, that we're, that we're thinking and knowing that everything we're doing is worship unto God? God hardcore convicted me of this. Like these last two years, God has been working on my heart of what true worshipers look like. And I've shared this with my team God's been working on my heart in this. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're challenged this morning. And our worship will inspire other people. Our worship will reach out to those who don't know Christ. Our worship stems from a sincere heart. And when it's that, when it stems from a sincere heart and we live according to God's ways, it'll be amazing to see how God uses us. Would you bow your heads?